0: Hey, Real Life Church. God bless you. It's Pastor Jim. We are in our last week of this series of teachings on resolutions. It's been the beginning of the year. We're planning the year ahead, planning 2024, which, as I said, may be a year of upheaval. But we are going to thrive like trees planted by streams of water in the desert that are green, despite the fact that uh, that the air around them is dry, despite, despite the fact that everybody else is stressed and worried. Uh, We will bear fruit in every season. Uh, And that's because there are five practices that we're putting in place this year to prepare ourselves for every season to come. I've said there are five core disciplines described in the scriptures, which if we live them out thoroughly and faithfully, uh, we will never come to a place where we feel like our our faith life is empty. Uh, We will never feel like uh, we are are not finding our our place in life. And and here are the five, because we're going to get to the fifth one today. Uh, Number one, we live lives of worship. We live lives committed to God, thankful to God, fully attentive to God throughout the course of the day. Two, we live lives in loving community, right? Uh, Jesus' greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's live a life of worship and love your neighbor as yourself. That's live in loving community. Uh, We pour ourselves out in love for others because that's how we were made. We were made by a God of love to live lives of love. We are a reflection of him made in his image. So we are beings of love. Third, we live lives of invitation and outreach because living life on mission and on purpose, living to introduce people to Jesus is more satisfying and purposeful and fulfilling than anything else. Fourthly, we live lives of service. Uh, we wash one another's feet, we live to serve the poor uh, because when you are serving the, the least and lost, you are close to the heart of Jesus. And then fifthly today, I want to look at living a generous life. Uh, But to sort of encapsulate what we've done in this series, what this series is about, um, let me call your attention to a teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Starting next week, we're going to begin a series of teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, probably Jesus' greatest sermon and one of the most influential sermons in all of history. And I'll show you how this sermon has specifically changed the course of human history. Just this sermon, Matthew's, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of the sermon, at the end of chapter 5, Jesus has this sort of strange teaching. He said, uh, you've been told, do not murder, but now I say, don't even hold on to anger. You've been told, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even lust. And then he says, be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. And that one is sort of the record scratch teaching. That, that one sort of makes you skid to a stop. Be perfect the way God is perfect? I can't be perfect the way a human being is perfect. How am I supposed to be perfect like God? Well, what what Jesus is saying here is is fascinating. If you look at the Greek word that's used here, what he's talking about is is kind of incredible. The ancient Greeks had a couple of important words that I'm going to use today. Eudaimonia and telos. Eudaimonia can be translated happiness, but it's not just any kind of happiness. It's not like a, a kid watching Uh, hours of video games and shoving his face full of candy. Not that kind of happiness. Eudaimonia is the kind of happiness that you get when you fulfill a task and accomplish, accomplish it and feel like you've done a good job and found your place in the universe. That kind of happiness. That's eudaimonia. A sense of fulfillment. I'm doing what I was made to do. I'm doing it well, and it's bearing good results. That's eudaimonia. The second Greek word that we're going to use today is telos. And telos is that thing that you were designed for, that thing that you were made to do. Remember, the the telos of an acorn is an oak tree, the thing that you're supposed to become when you're fully mature, if you've grown right, if you've fallen the right kind of life, you reach your your telos. And reaching your telos, your purpose, your design, produces eudaimonia, happiness or fulfillment. Telos leads to eudaimonia. A A sculptor... working uh, on a big block of marble, imagine wanting to create a sculpture out of it. The, The block of marble has a telos, and that is to become a sculpture, to become a beautiful work of art. The sculptor himself has a telos, and that is to become a great artist. And when he reaches his fulfillment, his peak, he reaches eudaimonia, happiness, fulfillment. When I was 17 years old, I stood in the pulpit of a church on a Sunday morning because they invited the teenagers to lead the worship services. And I shared my five minutes of everything I knew about God and life at the age of 17. And when I walked down from that pulpit, I said to my youth pastor, that felt right. And he said, let's talk about what that means. And that began my perception, my understanding of my call to be a pastor. In, in Christian language, we call it calling. Uh, the Greeks would call it tell us, that thing that you're made to be, that thing that you're designed for, that thing that if you miss it, you won't be happy. We're uh, all made with a tell us or a calling. Jesus has called you into the world with a purpose, with intentions for you. So long as you walk with him, you won't miss it. And if you walk with him and if you pursue his calling day to day, you will find eudaimonia, happiness, fulfillment. Well, the word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter five, when he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is a version of the word, tell us, reach the fulfillment that you were designed for, reach that thing that you were made for, be complete, be exactly what you're supposed to be. That's the calling of Jesus in our life. And that's the purpose behind this series, that we would reach the, the state in which we know the God who made us. And we we rest utterly at peace and content in his love by living lives of worship, by living in loving community, by reaching out in love to people who don't know Jesus, by serving those who are in, most in need. And today we'll talk about living Generous lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, bless your word this morning that we might understand it and know it and draw close to you. Uh, We want to reach the purpose that you mean for us, so help us to walk uh, near to you and not stray. Jesus, forgive those sins that mess us up and break us and distract us. Purify us and bring us close to you. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, One of the five purposes that we are uh, to fulfill in life, to live well, is to live generously. Jesus has lots of teachings about money, and most of them are negative. Don't hoard it. Don't store it up. Don't be greedy about it. Don't refuse to share it. Don't live for it, and don't prioritize it. Uh, I've told you before that when I talk about money because the scriptures talk about money, I'm not doing a fundraiser for the church. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, if you ever feel suspicious, if you think that I'm talking about money because I'm trying to get something for you because of some project I'm working on, you can send your money to the church down the street. I'm not interested in doing a fundraiser to get money for anything that the church is doing. I'm interested in your heart. And God wants to create in us generous hearts. If you need to give your money down to the church down the street to start giving, then do it. But God calls us to be a generous people. And outside of his call of generosity, we will not find fulfillment in this life. There are different ways that I could talk to you about generosity today. I could say it's a duty. We should do it. God says to do it, and we're supposed to obey I could appeal to your sympathy and say, think about the plight of the poor and how hard their lives are and how privileged we are. I could be angry and scold us for greed. We shouldn't be so selfish. We have so much and we just don't care. I can do any of that. But, but that's not what I want to talk about today because I want to look at a text from the prophet Malachi. And Malachi is a little bit scolding, but what, what Malachi is after is, is living into purpose, living into fulfillment, Uh, You'll see what I mean. Uh, Open to Malachi chapter 3 if you've got a Bible with you. The prophet Malachi preached about 400 years before Jesus. God's people had been off in slavery in Babylon. They had gone back and begun to rebuild Israel. They had reestablished their temple. But they start to invest more in themselves than in the temple that needs to be rebuilt. And the temple falls into disrepair and disuse. The temple was maintained through tithing which meant that the people would give 10%, the first 10% of their harvest to the temple to maintain the temple itself and the priesthood because the Jewish people believed that the heart of their community was the center of worship. And if the center of worship where God was honored was not the center of the community, the community had gone astray. And so 10% of, of what they brought in from their harvesting, from their farming, was to go to the temple. And after that if there were any poor people living among them, they were to care for the poor out of their own resources. That wasn't even part of their 10%. The 10% was to maintain the house of worship. And Malachi sees that they are not doing that. And here's what Malachi has to say in chapter 3, verse 8. He's uh, portraying a conversation between God and humanity. And God says, Will a mere mortal rob God. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Tithes is that 10% and offerings are gifts beyond the 10%. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. The whole land is burdened by their failure and faithfulness. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. This is the only place in scripture where God invites his people to test him and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The floodgates of heaven is literally referring to the clouds in the sky for a farming community, When the floodgates are open, a flood comes out. It's talking about rain because for a farming community, they are are system dependent on good weather to produce crops so they can live. And so God throwing open the floodgates of heaven is God allowing rain to fall on the earth so that their harvest can be plentiful. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So this prophecy has two prongs, a negative one and a positive one. The negative one is don't rob God. That's the scolding part, right? Do not steal from God. you're under a curse for doing it. But the positive one is this: when you live a generous life, God will absolutely overshadow your generosity. You've heard it said you can't outgive God. And the truth is, God will give in far abundance to anything that we can do. Um, I'll show you that what this means. For, first look at the the negative side. The negative side reads this way. Uh, I've got some charts that uh, I think we're going to drop up on the screen for you. Uh, The number of affluent households in the United States that gave to charity has declined from 91% in 2014 to 85%. And in the general population in that same time period, in this last decade, it's dropped from 55% to close to 40%. Now, you can debate whether or not these statistics are based on changes in the tax code or changes in people's reporting, but there's an overall trend that can't be avoided, which is that church attendance in America has been declining and has continued to decline and has declined significantly in the last decade. Furthermore, it's been shown, and this is just in in the data, this is unquestionable, the most significant charitable donors in America are religious donors. And so as there are less religious people and less people involved in religious charities, charitable giving is going to go down. Uh, The average percentage given uh, has remained below 2%. If you look at the second chart, chart, average giving is less than 2% and is at an all-time low. The number of people who actually tithe, including people who say that they sincerely follow Jesus, is actually very low. And God looks at that and says, you're, you're robbing me. I honestly, you say that you believe you get up and you pray and you read the Bible and you post Bible verses on your Instagram, but I can see your Venmo account and you're not generous and you don't tithe and you're robbing me when you do that. And as a consequence, your nation is under a curse And that's going to play out in practical ways in the future of America if America's Christian population continues to decline. Because as churches fall into disuse and disrepair, charitable work will fall away. Our church maintains a growing, thriving pantry that gave out groceries to 175 families last weekend, which is a new record. It's not the kind of record that you wanna set because it means people are in more need. But we're doing that and serving hot breakfast and we're gonna start serving clo- giving away clothes to them next month. When churches fall into disuse and disrepair, charities like that go away. Tutoring agencies sponsored by churches go away. The the government's charity is not supplanting or taking the place of churches because it it lacks that personal touch and spiritual heart that the church's charity does. And so as the number of followers of Jesus decline in America, the rate of desperation and poverty is going to continue to go up. The way that plays out practically uh, in, in negative terms is that when we when we fail to live generously, when we fail to know the God who is so generous to us that he would die for us, we lose track of our telos. We live for the wrong telos, and we never find eudaimonia. Uh, My daughter is a student up at the University of Washington in Seattle right now, and she was in a business class, and she said they had an investment banker come and sit in front of the class, and just tell his personal story, talk about what he did for a living. And she said it, it gravitated from first his professional description of his job into, his, into conversation about his personal life. And he described falling into alcoholism and divorce and the fact that he was just systemically exhausted and depressed. She said, Dad, he looked like a wreck. And that was a man who has lived for the wrong tell us. He didn't find his calling because he bought into the lie that money would make him happy. And he's got all the money he needs now, and he is miserable. And if we live to chase after the wrong tell us, we will not find eudaimonia. We will not find fulfillment. We can wreck our lives winning at the wrong race. Jesus says, live a life of generosity. Support a house of worship. And make it the center of your community and then give charitably beyond that. To do less than that is to steal from God and you'll miss your purpose and you won't be happy. The positive side of uh, the uh, prophecy of Malachi is this that when we are generous, when we live uh, as we're made, uh, we find our way to eudaimonia, to happiness. Uh, it's like a sculptor who is content in his work. He builds the professional statue, the, the, uh, complete statue, the beautiful statue, and he's recognized for the, the professional and the talented artist that he is, and he feels fulfillment. He feels, ah, oh, good. It's like the farmer who brings in a harvest at the end of the season and says, we have plenty. We'll make it through the winter. I, I cared for the fields rightly. I was rewarded. I did. Well, it's like a teacher who graduates a class of students and says they all pass their tests, they have good scores, they're off to the next stage of life, and I am content and I'm satisfied with them. When we are generous, God opens the floodgates of heaven and gives us exactly what we need. In fact, he gives us so much, there's not room to store it. And he gives us enough spiritually and emotionally and psychologically as well. He brings us into a place where we know that there is a good Father watching over us and taking care of us, and nothing is more satisfying than that. Uh, I remember there was a woman in uh, the church in which I served in Hawaii who uh, was an elderly woman, uh, still trying to work when she could, um, and was not financially uh, very well off, but she had a habit that everybody was aware of. She liked to save up money. And then go buy little $5 gift cards and just give them out as gifts to people. Uh, she was always giving away $5 gift cards. And she didn't have a lot. But uh, it, w- it would not be a surprise if one day you got a card in your uh, mailbox. and Her name was Cookie. It was a little card from Cookie. And Cookie had given written you a nice little word of encouragement and put a little $5 Starbucks card in there. And she did it all the time. In fact, even after I moved from Hawaii to California, for about a year after that, I, every now and then, my birthday and so forth, I'd receive a little card from Cookie with a little $5 gift card in there. And I think she was just having fun. She didn't have a lot, and she didn't need a lot, but I think she had a lot of fun giving. And I was reminded of the woman in Luke 21, the, the widow who gives her last two coins at the temple. And Jesus spies her and points her out to the disciples and said, of all the people here who have given to the temple treasury, she gave the most because she gave all she had. Just two little copper coins, two of the cheapest kind of coins, she gave the most. And you know, I don't think that woman walked out of the temple and then starved to death on the temple doorsteps. I think God was faithful to his promises. I think God opened up the floodgates of heaven to her. I think she trusted God and I bet her story got better after that. We only know a little snapshot of her story. I bet the best part came next. Now, I I don't preach a prosperity gospel. A prosperity gospel is a gospel, and you'll see this sometimes from uh, charismatic uh, preachers on TV. They'll say, if you send the church money, God will give you money. If you send us $5, God will give you $10. That's a false gospel, and you should never trust someone who preaches a prosperity gospel for you that person is manipulating you spiritually to try to benefit financially for themselves and you should not listen to people who do that Uh, a prosperity gospel is a false gospel and that is why i say to you every time i talk about money if you need to send money to the church down the street go ahead and do it i'm not fundraising for me or for this church i'm after our hearts because god is after our hearts and when god says you're robbing me it's not because some priest is trying to make money at the church it's because God is trying to create generous hearts in us and we're resisting. God calls us to be generous because that's how he made it. That's our, that's our telos. And only in pursuing our telos do we find eudaimonia. So think about God and money this way. Think about God as a good, loving, and healthy father. This is the way I always say it, a good, loving, and healthy father. And I know if we've had a bad experience with our dad, father imagery can be difficult, but we're going to steal father, the title father from a bad earthly dad and give it to a a worthy, heavenly father, a good, healthy, and loving father. Think about what a good, healthy, and loving father does. If a good, healthy, and loving father uh, has a child who comes to them and says, "Uh, I need your help. A good, healthy, and loving father says, I absolutely will help you. I want to help you. You're my child. You're dear to me. I don't want you to struggle. I don't want you to suffer. If a child goes to the father and says, I want to do this myself. I don't want your help. Dad might say, okay, do it yourself. And and maybe that child will prosper on their own, but it's going to be a struggle. It's not the same as having dad's help. Now think about this. Think about a child, a daughter who goes to the father and says, "Um, I want help because I want to be generous to people. I want your help because I want to do good for other people. Think about how much a heavenly father would pour out to that child. That's the right way to think about God. So practically, this is what we do. Pragmatically, here's how to go about it. Start by tithing. You need to mark off 10% and say, I'm going to give this to building the kingdom of heaven on earth. If you need to send it to the church down the street, send it to the church down the street. But the Christian church in America is woefully inadequate at this. You need to start tithing. Imagine showing up at the gates of heaven saying, there wasn't a single year where I tithed. Do it once. See if God doesn't deliver on his promises. Uh, If if we take uh, tithing seriously, it it starts to get a hold of us. Um, I I started tithing when I was in high school uh, because I I knew that uh, all of my money was just for luxury. My dad took care of uh, a place to live and food on the table. But the reality is now as an adult, my father still takes care of my place to live and food on the table, and I can tithe with the same eagerness and easiness that I did when I was in high school. And my wife and I have carried that to a greater extent in our lives. When we sold our condo in Hawaii and moved to California, we tithed on the profit of a condo, and that was a lot. I know a lot of people who don't tithe on the sale of real estate, but hey, that is actually income. And so we tithe on that too. She and I tithe on gifts that we receive. And technically that's not income in the strict sense, but we do it anyway. We tithe on gifts that we receive. And we've never regretted a dime of it. We've never wished we had it back. Start by tithing. And then once you do that, start giving for fun. There are ways to give charitably like Cookie did that just make you enjoy life more. Uh, If you've never sponsored a child through Compassion International, you can go to reallife.la, that's our church website, reallife.la forward slash compassion. And there you'll see a list of children in developing nations that are waiting for sponsors who send them a monthly uh, uh, donation and then you can write letters to the child. You can even visit the child. I visited a couple of the children that I've sponsored through Compassion International. We've been doing this for about 30 years in my family. And, uh, and um, uh, if you've never sponsored a child before, it's just a fun way to connect with somebody off in the world that you may never meet face-to-face, but you get to know that you change their lives. Uh, Real Life was one of the only churches in America which launched a Compassion Sunday during the pandemic. So when everything was closing down and everybody was laying off staff and everybody was panicking, we as a church held a Compassion Sunday, which is a Sunday where we put out packets from Compassion International and say, here are children that you can sponsor. If you have room for it, take a child and sponsor a child. One of the only churches in America that did that because trees planted by streams of water are not freaked out by the desert. That's not where we get our nourishment. When you're nourished by God, you don't freak out when the world around you is in trouble because the world around you is not what's taking care of you. God is what's taking care of you. During the pandemic, we did a, a fun little uh, exercise in generosity where uh, I told the church, when you go to the grocery store, because they're still open, those are essential workers, they're still open, there are little gift cards, usually right at the checkout counter for restaurants and you know Amazon and everything else. Take one of those gift cards, put whatever amount on it God tells you to, and then when you're done checking out, give it to the cashier and say, thanks for being here. Thanks for doing your job. And uh, and then we invited you all to throw uh, throw in emails to us and uh, tell us about those stories. And dozens of you did it. And it was so, it was so gracious. That was, that was a good moment. Uh It's fun to be generous. It's touching to be generous. Um, There was a year um, years ago where I decided I was going to give $1 to charity beyond tithing. I already tithed, but $1 to charity beyond tithing for every dollar I spent on a luxury item for myself. So that meant a $4 latte was going to cost me $8 because I could spend $4 on the latte, but then I had to give $4 more than tithing to uh, charity, uh, and I did that for a year. And I both I both gave more and I spent less on myself. It was a very conservative year, uh, but it was fun to experiment and see what it was like to give myself a 100% luxury tax uh, and see how that affected my life. Um, if you want to give charitably to our Mexico project. Next month, we're going down to Mexico to build a house as part of a church planting network we've been working with down there. It's a pastor who's planted over 50 churches and he builds churches and little schools next to the church and a little house for the pastor. And we're going to go down and build a house next month. And we have calculated that if every given unit in our church gives an extra $24 in 2024, $24 in 2024, that will cover the $7,000 it costs to build the house down there that we give to that charity. So consider that. If you go to uh, our reallife.la slash give, there's a drop down menu that says Mexico, and you can donate an extra $24 there if you want to. Uh, in all this, you don't have to do any of it, but you're designed to. It's your telos, it's how we're made. And without fulfilling our telos, we don't reach eudaimonia. Without pursuing the way God has made us and called us, we won't reach the kind of fulfillment that God wants for us. In the end, Jesus gave up his life for us on the cross. He made the ultimate sacrifice and ultimate surrender. He didn't want to do it. He prayed, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. But he said, your will be done, not mine. And now he calls us to follow in his footsteps, to recognize that the life of faith is a life of sacrifice. It's a life of generosity, but not because we'll be left empty-handed, because we have a God who is more generous than us and likes to reward those who live into the, the generous hearts that he made for us. Give it a try. He says, test me in this. You'll see. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your generosity. Thank you that you are so good to us. Thank you that you lived for us and you died for us. Thank you that you rose again and now you walk with us. I thank you that uh, in the ups and downs of every day, you're right there beside us, that nothing going on in our lives is out of your hands, that we can trust you in all things. Thank you, Jesus, for that peace. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.